Our scripture today comes from Genesis chapter 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hira. There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Jezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. But Anon knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground, so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house, till Shelah my son grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. He and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her, and he went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the man of the place, Where is the cult prostitute who was at Enaim at the roadside? And they said, No cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, No cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And she was, as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. 
And she said, please identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. This is the word of our Lord. Well, if you listen to the scripture, I will say to you what I say to my Old Testament students when I teach. You thought the Bible was boring. (laughs) Genesis 38 is proof that the Bible is anything but boring. Uh, Genesis 38 is interesting because it falls in the middle of one of the most remarkable stories in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph and what's happening. And, And there's this interlude, and it's a dark minor chord that is played in Genesis 38. Why read Genesis 38 as we finish Ruth today? You'll, I hope, discover why uh, that we uh, have read that and the point of reading uh, Genesis uh, 38 this morning. If you uh, listen to it, you should have heard a man's name. His name is Perez. Perez is also mentioned at the end of the book of Ruth. Uh, And so it's important for us to understand who he is. And so just in case you missed any details of how Perez came uh, to be in this world, he came uh, as a result of an ungodly relationship. That's how he came into this world. His heritage is nothing to write home about at all. Uh, Perez came because his mother's first husband died. His, he was aptly named Er, E-R, probably uh, Error, uh, might be more appropriate. So wicked, God killed him. And Judah, who evidently lacked significantly in fathering, uh, had a second son, uh, Onan, who was supposed to, uh, by leveret marriage, that was acceptable and, and commended, uh, have children by uh, uh, Tamar. And he would go into her but refused to inseminate her because he did not want the responsibility for children that legally would not be his. And so he... Uh, was killed by God too. There's a third son, and Judah evidently thought he's headed in the same direction the other two are going because uh, I think he might get killed too. Wow. This was a horrific family. Judah is one of the sons of uh, Jacob. He's one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and what a mark on him. And so then his wife dies. Tamar decides to take off the widow's clothes. She's worn for years, and she poses as a prostitute, ends up having sex with her father-in-law. 
and tricks him by convincing him to give her these things that identify him, his signet, his cord, his staff. That's what a man in those days was known by. And so she does that. And as a result, when she gets pregnant, he is planning to have her burned and his child in her womb when she produces those things. DNA tests weren't known then. So so the next best thing, you've got everything belonging to that man, so she produces them, and when she does, he, his sin is now made obvious. He was calling hers out. His sin is now made obvious, and then twins she has, and one uh, comes out, withdraws the hand, Perez comes, uh, Perez comes out, and Uh, What you may not realize is that everybody in Bethlehem almost traced their lineage back to Judah through Paris. So those who lived in Bethlehem didn't have much to write home about. We've talked about how Ruth had her uh, beginnings, which weren't so very good. Uh, her, she's a Moabite, and as a Moabite, her ancestors traced their uh, lineage back to Lot, Abraham's unliked nephew, the opportunist who chose the greener pastures and then escaped uh, by the skin of his teeth from Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife didn't, his daughter getting pregnant and have children by him and the Moabites come from there so you've got Moabites and you've got uh, these descendants of Perez you've got uh, just such an ugly family tree if you trace it back and then You turn to the book of Matthew. Let me read it because perhaps you've never considered uh, Matthew 1, uh, the first few verses. It's a genealogy for Jews. Uh, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now here's what's interesting is all genealogies almost always only mention men, but there are three women mentioned in these few verses. Don't miss their names. So uh, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of whose shows up? Perez. And Zerah by Tamar. Tamar's name is mentioned in Jesus' family tree. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by who? Rahab. Well, here's another interesting character who shows her face in Jesus' family tree. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. There are three women mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. It's Tamar, it's Rahab, and it's Ruth. Tamar posed as a prostitute. Rahab was one. Rahab was the prostitute who lived on Jericho's city walls. And when uh, the Israelites came storming in uh, or sent their spies in to see what they were going to do to Jericho, Rahab hid those spies. 
She hid them on top of her house, and when the uh, king sent messengers looking for the spies, she, uh, she told a fib. She lied and said they weren't there, but she expressed her faith in the God of Israel. And she said, I know that this God of Israel is going to take care uh, of, uh, that you guys are going to destroy us. She expressed her faith in, in the God of Israel. Now, you've got to see, well, did she just say it or did she carry it out? She carried it out. How so? How do we know she carried it out? Here's how. Rahab, who had never seen all of these miracles that the Israelites have seen, she wasn't there when they crossed the Red Sea. She didn't see all of that. She simply believed the report. And when she believed it, she said to those guys, I know that God's going to give you this massive city. So what I'm going to do is drop a rope down out of my window. And when you overtake the city, save us. How do you think she felt for the next seven days as this unlikely army just circled the city and yelled and hollered and acted like a fool? She had seven days to go to her king and say, hey, these people are marching out here. You better take them seriously. She could have defected from that faith statement seven days in a row. Rather, she, she hunkered down in her home, hoping that that, that that rope, that red rope, would indeed be seen and the spies were not lying to her and they would save her. And so they did. And she evidently, met a Jewish guy after that whose name is Salmon. And they married, and they had a boy, and what was his name? Boaz. <laughs> wow. All right, so we've got Tamar, who posed as a prostitute. We've got uh, uh, Rahab, who really was one, and Ruth, all mentioned in the first five verses of Matthew. This is a sordid story at best. This is what you don't uh, put in the family tree book. If you go to Ancestry.com and discover this, you, you, uh, you cancel your account. <laughs> and don't tell anybody. No. What do we discover here that brings us to these last few verses of Ruth? So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. There's a twist in this story that no one expected, not even you. All right? Here's the twist. And from this twist and a couple others, we discover three, three things the Redeemer will do. The Redeemer will restore your life. The Redeemer will nourish your life. And the Redeemer will love you. Let's look at it. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Hold up. I thought Boaz was the Redeemer. Anybody else surprised? So far in the book of Ruth, we've seen two redeemers. 
We've seen the Redeemer who was closer of kin but unable. He couldn't afford to pay. And Boaz, in that uh, climactic scene, goes to the gate to find him, right? And, and when he does, he discovers the Redeemer and says, you're going to have to step in. Naomi's selling her land. Uh, that's what Redeemers did, buy it back. And the guy says, I'm in. But Boaz slides in the curveball of Ruth, and you've got to marry her. So the guy says, I can't do it. I can't. I can't. Says it twice for emphasis. I can't do that. And so what happens? There's Boaz then who steps up and says, I will. And, and the conflict in the story, the problem solved, we think. No. No, you see, Ruth had to, uh, Naomi had two needs. She had the need of her land, which Boaz could handle, and she had the need of her line. Could anybody extend her line since Elimelech, her husband, had died and, and her two boys had died? Could anybody do that? And so Boaz uh, marries Ruth. Ruth is seen as a daughter of Naomi at this point. If Ruth has, uh, has a child, it's seen as a child by, by, by uh, Malon, and, and so that extends the line. So who's doing that? The baby is doing that. That's what these women say. There's a new redeemer on the scene, and he can't even talk. There's a new redeemer, and there are no words that can come out. of He just babbles. How could a little baby redeem a family? How could a little baby born in a town called Bethlehem redeem the family if you cannot see the foreshadowing of another baby boy born in Bethlehem who would redeem not only a family but redeem the world. Wow. Here is this little baby and these, ma- these women say, uh, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. If, if the redeemer had only bought back the land, Naomi would still be void of hope and a future. So what if you have land if there are no, no kids to come after you? But Obed is his name. I mean, poor Ruth. She doesn't get to name her own child. Does that in any way make you think of another mama that an angel showed up to and said, you're going to have a boy, but you can't name him? His name will be called Jesus. This is the twist in this story that nobody reading it thought was coming. No one. Boaz is the hero until Obed is born. Wow. Redeemer number three can actually not only take care of Naomi's land eventually, but her line. Uh, 
blessed be the Lord who has not left you. They're talking to Naomi this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. They had said, may Boaz's name be renowned in Bethlehem. Remember? They're saying, may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. The redeemer will restore your life and a nourisher of your old age. The redeemer will also nourish your life. Boaz can restore Ruth's land, but Boaz is old. Do you know what he most likely will do before Ruth does? Die. If Boaz is it, and he restores her land, and Ruth dies, and Boaz dies, uh, or Boaz dies, Naomi, rather, is back where she started. She has land but she has nobody to take care of her. But what if there's a baby born who's her grandson? And what if this baby born as her grandson grows up to take care of his grandmother? That's what these women say in the town of Bethlehem is going to happen. This baby born, Naomi, will nourish you in your old age. Do you know, that's what people as they age get concerned about, isn't it? Who will take care of me? Like you look at your kids and go, oh, wow. If it's up to them, you know, you may have one who's just a nourisher and the other one is like, I'm not touching that. Right? I'm just not going near, you know? And so, uh, so some of you may need to go invest in long-term care insurance because you know that person, you know, that kid's just not going to be about that. I mean, they'll come visit, but they're certainly not changing you, all right? And so you know that. And, and Naomi is in this situation where Boaz will die. She will be left alone again unless there is a boy, unless there is an heir who will take care of his grandmother. And that's what these women say he'll do. He will nourish her in her old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. Obed is his name. His name means servant. Servant is his name. And guess what these women are saying he's going to do? He's going to serve Naomi. He's going to serve her. And as she ages, she needs somebody to serve her. The Redeemer not only will restore your life, but the Redeemer will nourish your life. Could you imagine if God saved you but didn't give you the power to live the Christian life after he did? Could you imagine if God just drew you to himself and he saved you by his glorious grace, but as you went through the Christian life, you stumbled and you tripped, but there was no one there to help. There's no Holy Spirit who's going to live on the inside of you and say, yes, that's what you need to do, or no, don't go there. But the Redeemer is not just interested about a mark on the belt and another one to say he is brought into the fold, but he is so interested in getting you home uh, with joy in the journey. He wants you to live this full life. Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come 
that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly, to the max, to the full. His intention for you is to have this life that is victorious over the sin that nags you, victorious over the things that trouble you and the things that trip you up to where that you walk through this life and you walk in victory. Amen? He saves us, not to leave us on our own. The Redeemer who will restore your life will also nourish your life. He will. He'll do that very thing. He is, as Philip saying, faithful and true. Everything he has said, he will do. Amen? Everything. He nourishes and he, he restores and he nourishes. I experienced that this this very week. I am known to be unable to drive. That was unnecessary, Tony. And this very week, I wrecked again. Joe said again before I could say that. Um, I did, and most likely totaled my car. And hit another car and may have totaled it. And we were all healthy, and I moped for three days. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I moped. Bad attitude. Mad at myself. Bad attitude. Thursday morning, I dropped the kids off for school. I'm driving up the road. And as I'm coming up the road, God nailed me. And he said, what is your problem? I've taken care of you. No one was hurt. You are ungrateful. And I began to thank him. And I began to list all the things for which I am thankful as I was praying and said, Lord, I thank you for this and I thank you for that and I thank you for that. And the more I said it, the worse I felt about my awful, ugly, mopey self. And I thought, poor Wendy, oh, three days she's lived with me uh, like this. And so I remember saying, it's Thursday. It's Thursday. This is, and in my prayer, I said, Lord, many, many, many Thursdays from now will be Thanksgiving, and guess what? We will celebrate, and we will thank you, but today, this Thursday is Thanksgiving. And so I called Wendy, and I said, listen, honey, we're having Thanksgiving dinner tonight. She said, what? I said, we are. It's Thanksgiving in February in the Lewis house. I'm sick of myself. I'm sure you're sick of me. She didn't say yes. She's sweet. And... Uh, I said, I'm sure you're sick of me. I'm sick of me. We're having Thanksgiving. And sure enough, we had turkey, Go-Go's homemade dressing, uh, made from scratch, cranberry sauce, green beans, mashed potatoes and gravy, yeast rolls, uh, pound cake, strawberries fresh on them. We had Thanksgiving. Because the way you take care of moping is to pig out. I'm just kidding. You confessed, and I confessed, and we just went around the table, and we talked about what we were thankful for as a family. And we had Thanksgiving in February because God is good. Amen? 
And God is so good to us, and he is so wonderful, and he is so great that what was God doing to me? He was nourishing me. He was just saying, son, listen to me. You're not listening to me. I've been speaking for three days. You said, Jerry, how do you know he was speaking? Because on Monday, Wendy looked at me and said, you need to be thankful. And she said, I'm glad it took three days for you to get that for me. God nourishes us. He corrects us. He brings us back in. He is a redeemer who not only restores our life, but he nourishes us day in and day out, week in and week out. He is a nourisher of life. And then finally, the redeemer will love you. The redeemer will love you. Don't miss this language. He shall be to your restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you. who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to whom? Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed, servant, who loved Naomi. How does that make him different from Redeemer number one and Redeemer number two? It's a great question. Redeemer number one, total business transaction. Redeemer number two, highly motivated by his love for a girl named Ruth. Redeemer number three, loved Naomi. Bitter Mara, he loved. Jesus died for you, not to satisfy some legal transaction before the Father. Read the Gospels, and you'll discover again and again and again he is moved to compassion. He loves you. He really loves you. The Redeemer will love you if you'll let him. Oh, he'll walk with you through the darkest times in your life, won't he? You wake up at two or three in the morning And the silence is deafening. And guess who's awake? The Redeemer. How many of you, I'm serious about this, have had to call on him sometime in the night in your life? Would you raise your hand? Look around. At some point in the night, you've woken up and you've thought, I don't know if I can live to see tomorrow. The Redeemer loves you. Oh, if you could see his love, if you could could know the deep, deep love that he has for you. Say, Jerry, how, how can I know it best? Last Sunday, there's a kid who's in my New Testament class 
last a week ago Friday he and I sat down at the cafeteria we talked his name's Will and Will was convinced that Friday that all roads lead to God that you could be a Hindu a Muslim a Mormon and a Buddhist you'll still get to God I looked at Will as we sat at that table a large round table with about eight chairs and so he and I took two that left six and we filled the remaining six with imaginary followers of other religions and I said Will I've got to ask you a question yes Dr. Lewis I said here's my question for you if that is right we have a major problem. What is it? I said, well, Jesus said himself that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And if that is a lie, he believed his own lie enough to die on the cross for it. I said, so if Jesus is a good guy among all these other good guys, he's stupid? You should never put him with these others because he told a lie, believed his lie, and died for it. I said, C.S. Lewis says he's either a liar or he's a lunatic. Or his Lord will. You can't straddle that fence. On Sunday, Will, for the first time in almost a year, came to worship. Second service, I asked people to bow their heads. Will was sitting on the second row with Wendy and me. I asked people to bow their heads. I asked people to look at me. And somehow I overlooked him when I saw his hand waving at me. And Will trusted Christ as his Savior. On Wednesday, Miss Class Monday, on Wednesday, when I went into class, Will sitting in a spot back there, grinning from ear to ear. A changed young man. Why? Jesus loved him enough. None of those religions represented at that table have a God who became a man who died for them. All I say to you is if you think God can't take your mess of your life and turn it around, if Ruth could stand here and talk to you today, she would argue otherwise. If you need to talk about that more, I'll be up here at the front. 